Today's scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the same way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Uh, Today's passage that said, said, Seth read, Uh, This morning, that begins with what could be the non-Christian's favorite verse of the entire Bible. You you don't have to be a Christian to like Matthew 7, verse 1. Uh, We usually quote it in the King James, right? Judge not, say it with me, lest ye be judged, right? You don't... People who've never darkened the door of a church or helped hold down a pew know that one. It's a favorite. Now, Jesus' original intent, what he meant when he taught this passage of Scripture is not what most people like when they quote that, that verse. I think, I'm, I'm going to make a general assumption, but check, out, check me for accuracy here. I think what people normally mean when they say, judge not, lest ye be judges, something like this. You can't tell me that what I'm doing is wrong. Because the Bible says, do not judge, or you're going to be judged. That means you can't tell me what I'm doing is wrong, even if the Bible would tell me what I'm doing is wrong. Even if God thinks what I'm doing is wrong, because that verse is in here, you can't tell me that what I'm doing is wrong. You think that's the normal usage of that word or that verse? I think it is. The problem with that line of logic (laughs) is this same book that includes that verse in lots of other places, very clearly tells us as Christians that we have to judge. That we have to make judgments, evaluations. We have to look at behaviors and situations and determine the rightness or the wrongness or the goodness or the badness of what's happening. I'll give you some examples. The Apostle Paul in his letters was constantly telling Christians stuff they were doing wrong so that they could change. What is that if it's not a a judgment? And in case you think, well, yeah, but he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's different. And in some ways it is. Check this one out. Read 1 Corinthians 5 sometime. Not now, please. But in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul takes the Christians in the church at Corinth to task for not judging one of the members. There's, there's a man there involved in a very immoral situation, and Paul basically blasts him. What are you doing? You should have judged him already. In, in this passage, Jesus is going to tell us how to judge correctly. There's judgment in this passage that begins, do not judge. 
In Matthew 18, Jesus is going to tell us how, what, what we're supposed to do when we notice sin in a brother or a sister, how to go to them and help them with that. This is a passage that tells us that later in Matthew 18. How am I supposed to go and help you with a sin issue if I haven't judged it to be a sin issue? In the book of Romans, Paul tells Christians to... Um, to look out for people who cause divisions and create obstacles in the church, that they're, they're, they're leading people in, in, in ways that are divisive from the foundational teachings of the church. How are we supposed to decide what that is without judgment? And even, again, in this passage, Jesus is going to tell us to judge. So whatever Jesus' main point is in this passage, it can't be this. It can't be that a real Christian never tells anyone else that what they're doing is wrong. Whatever the point is, we can be sure that's what the point isn't. It simply can't be. But because we are afraid to transgress that idea, uh, being judgmental has become one of the scarlet sins of our society. Would you agree with that? Nobody wants to appear judgmental. And because we are afraid to come across as judgmental, I think we, Christians, the church, have fallen into some bad patterns and habits where we we value personal space way above spiritual maturity and, and growth. And people need personal space, room to grow. But when we value that so far above personal growth, we're going to violate what Jesus is going to tell us to do today. When when we value independence over sharpening one another as iron and iron. However, we still have to deal with a passage that begins like this. Do not judge. We know from the rest of the scriptures that we have to make judgments, evaluations that are honest. Sometimes those judgments, those evaluations will lead us, if we want to be biblical, to to go and have conversations with a friend, with a, a, a brother or sister in Christ that are uncomfortable, that are difficult, if we're going to do this correctly. But we also know from this passage that there are wrong ways to go about that. That there are bad, harmful patterns that we can very easily fall into. One reason why society at large loves to throw that verse at Christians, judge not lest you be judged, is because historically and habitually Christians have been bad at this. We have violated the way Jesus wants our discernment to work. So what we're going to see today in Matthew 7, 1 through 6, is Jesus is going to tell us there's there's a wrong way and there's a right way to go about making evaluations of things that are going on around us, helping one another with sin problems, Um. And, and that's, that's what he wants us to know. He wants to warn us away from the bad kind, encourage us toward the good kind. And uh, I pray, this is a tough one, 
I have prayed for you in this that that you'll be convicted in this where you need to be convicted and be encouraged in this where you need to be encouraged that we might be what I'm going to call eye surgeons. This passage is about eye surgery. And before the end, you'll see what I mean. Jesus begins in this. this is the, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. He's been preaching for a while. And he begins this passage this way. This translation says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. And then in verse 2, Jesus basically says this, God's going to judge you in the way that you judge other people. So what we learn in verses 1 and 2 is this, your judgment will affect your judgment. The way you judge other people will affect the way you are one day judged by the Lord. Um, the word Jesus uses uh, that gets translated judge or judgment, there's a verb there, there's a noun there. Uh, the, the Greek uh, words are related. Krino is the, is the verb. Um, krima is the, is the noun. And a Greek scholar, Craig Blomberg, in his uh, New International Greek Testament commentary, I think, nails the usage of this. He knows a lot more about Greek than I do, so I'll give him the, the credit for this. I agree with him, but... He says, when Jesus uses those words, he uses them in a decidedly negative fashion. And and what Jesus is outlawing here, prohibiting here, is condemnation. Blomberg says, and I agree with him, what Jesus tells us we cannot do here is a kind of judgment that has to do with condemnation. And here's what that means. Uh, By the way, that's why Jesus never uses this word the rest of the passage. This word for judgment, condemnation, when he starts telling us the right way to do it, he doesn't use this word again, even though I'm going to call it judgment the whole way through. Um, here's the way this works. The most common way uh, we, we do judgment, when I notice something that you have done wrong or a mistake you have made, a habitual sin, whatever it is. Uh, I, I, I point that out, whether to myself or to you or to someone else, in a way where I compare favorably to you because of what I notice in you. And the reason I do that is because I want to feel superior to you. Look at what you have done. And what condemnation sort of means is that you are lowered. Your character your value maybe, your worthiness is decreased in comparison to me. Uh, That's condemnation. And Jesus encourages us to not do that. And here's how he does that. He tells us, however we make judgments of other people, when we stand before God, he's going to use the standard we used on us. Our judgment will affect our judgment. Let me explain how I think that goes down, because that's a scary idea. Um, throughout this passage, Jesus is going to be teaching us that, that we, there's something in us that wants to be critical of others, that wants to find these problems in others, because, it, like I said, it makes us compare favorably to them. I'm going to say it this way today. It feels better to feel better. It feels better if I feel better than you or that guy or that gal. 
That's the most common reason we do this. Look at, that's why I want to notice things. Look at what they did that I haven't done. Look at what I notice about what's wrong that they haven't. Look at their problem that I don't have. We may not say the I don't have part, but that's the most common reason we do this. Because it feels better to feel better. Jesus says, if that's the way you go about judgment, or when that is how you go about judgment, he said, well, if, if that's what you think is fair, if that's the way judgment should roll and you think that's fair, then I will just do that when you stand before me. Only now I am the standard, and we'll see how you measure up. I mean, it's only fair if that's the way you judge others. I'll just do what you have done. The judgment Jesus is talking about, the Bible makes clear, and we won't turn there this morning, but every single person is going to stand before the Lord Jesus. If you are here, you're a Christian, you are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, you've placed your faith in Christ, like I explained earlier, and you plan on taking communion because of it, you will still stand before the Lord in a judgment. The judgment won't determine whether or not you get into heaven. Because that judgment was taken care of at the cross of Christ. What Paul calls the judgment seat of Christ, I will stand before the Lord someday, every, like every Christian, and the Lord will judge our behaviors, our works, our life. How well we did what Jesus told us to do last week when he said, seek first, above everything else, seek the kingdom, seek righteousness. How do, what have I done for the Lord in my life? And the stuff that, is, that I've done for the kingdom, for other people, to his glory, and to their benefit, somehow that will be judged to have eternal value. And everything else will be judged to just be empty and worthless. Not necessarily sinful. Just not eternal in value. A couple weeks ago, I used as an illustration that, that Rachel and I bought a, we bought a new furnace for our house. And it wasn't a sinful purchase, right? But I'm not going to get any eternal reward because I bought a thrifty, get a good buy on a furnace, right? Um, it, it's just, it will just be no eternal value. It's a good decision. We need one, okay? Um, that's the judgment Jesus is talking about. Here in Matthew 7, 1 and 2, Jesus says, when, when you stand before the Lord and he is judging your works, here's what's going to happen. There are those times when you've noticed a sin issue in someone else's life. I'm going to judge that event in the same way you judged that event in that person. You noticed a sin issue. How did you deal with that? Did you use that as a way to feel morally superior to the person that had the problem that you noticed? If so, I will just... You and I, I'll judge, and we'll see who's morally superior, you or me, and to the victor goes the spoils. And how's that going to go for us? Not so much good as bad. It's each individual act. I don't believe Jesus says, if you've ever done this, I'm going to judge your whole life based on who's morally superior, me or you. He's going to judge each act, each work. And so every time... We notice a sin issue in a brother or sister in Christ. What we do with that will be judged at the judgment. 
And that presents us with a real opportunity if you think about it. Because there's a good part of this too. He says the standard you judge will, will be how you are judged. The, the measure you use will be the measure you receive. So if you think about this. If, if I notice something in Tim that needs fixed in his life, here's what I should do. How do I want the Lord Jesus to judge me? That's how I need to judge Tim. Do I, do I want to be about helping him? Do I want Jesus to be gracious with me and about my benefit and improvement and lifting me up? If I want that to be the way Jesus judges me that day, that's the way I need to be with Tim. I need this to be about not not lowering him in comparison to me, but getting into that problem and lifting him up, helping him. That's the guiding principle to this passage. Jesus is going to judge our judgment of others. And where it was used for condemnation, for me to feel better about being better, that's not going to hold up well. But when I dive into a problem with someone, like Jesus tells us in a minute, um, then he'll lift us up in our judgment. Does that make sense? That's the guiding principle here. All right, so our judgment will affect our judgment. How I judge others will affect how Jesus judges me for the way I judge others. And now Jesus is going to illustrate for us first the bad way, the don't do it this way way, and then the good way, how we're supposed to do it. In verses 3 and 4 in the first part of verse 5 is where he illustrates the the unjust judgment. This bad sort of judgment he doesn't want us to do. And he does it with this over-the-top little word picture where he compares whatever the bad kind of judgment is, he compares a person who does this bad kind of judgment to someone who is like walking around with a railroad tie stuck in his cornea and doesn't even notice But yet, this same person can somehow notice a little splinter or a little speck in someone else's eye, even though he doesn't know he's got a railroad tie in his retina. And and it's a a comical, over-the-top illustration. But don't let the sort of ridiculousness of it make you miss what he says. I haven't said this in a long time. Here's a, when you're reading your Bible, here's a, here's a good principle. Pay attention when God asks questions. God never asks questions in the Scriptures to learn information he doesn't already know. He wants us to stop and consider. And look at the questions Jesus asks in verses 3 and 4. Verse 3, here's the question. Here's how I would translate this question. Jesus asks, why do you notice what you tend to notice in other people? And why do you fail to notice what you fail to notice in yourself? He says it this way, why do you see the splinter in your brother's eye or the speck in your brother's eye? And why do you fail to see the beam in your own eye? Would you agree you have that tendency? That it's easier to see faults in other people than it is to see them in you? Would you agree that you tend to notice 
mistakes and sin in other people easier than you notice them in yourself. If you're sitting there this morning thinking, you know, I I don't have that tendency. You're probably doing it right now. Okay? This tendency is in all of us. The clearest example I can think of um, of how we do this that I think will make sense is if you have kids old enough to be in activities, like to play sports or be in the jazz band or, or be on the show choir, or whatever it is, when you watch your kids play sports, um, it, it's really difficult to be uh, sort of balanced, right? Our tendency is for mistakes, I tend to notice mistakes in other people's kids that I sort of minimize you know, in your own kid, right? Like when, when my kid makes a mistake, I go, well, you know, the spin on the ball was just a little bit off right there, and that's why, like anybody would have made that mistake, right? And the lights was in, and, right? But then when someone else makes the same kind of mistake, that's like proof they should be executed at halftime, right? Uh, like, whoa, how could anybody be so terrible, right? When my kid makes this, I minimize it. And, I, uh, and the good things is the opposite. Like little things my kids do, it's like, oh, did you see the way uh, he like ran to get some water? It's like a gazelle. I mean, most people don't move like that. And then when somebody else's kid, the good things someone else's kids do, I minimize those. Oh, like any idiot could have done that, right? I get no credit. Because our kids, and if, that's, does, if you don't, haven't had that experience, it makes sense, right? Go sit by somebody at games. You'll see what I'm talking about. Um, because our kids are an extension of our, of our self. You know why we do that? We want our kids to be superior in what they're doing. We want other people to recognize them as higher, better, more superior than, than, what, than where people recognize them. That's, that's where we're at. Listen, we're not like that just about our kids. We're like that about our kids because we're like that. Like that's who, we, that's, that's our natural tendency to notice specks in other people's eyes and ignore logs in our own. Jesus says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? You know why? Because you're looking for it. That's why. Why do you not see the beam in your eye? Because I don't want to. Because it feels better to feel better. And you know how I feel better? Find everything wrong out there and ignore anything wrong in here. And that will make me feel better. It is a desire for superiority because it feels better to feel better. In verse 4, Jesus asks it a little differently. He says, how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye while there's a railroad tie in your retina? I love this line. I've got to find it in my notes here. It's from a, uh, a commentary writer named John Nolland. He answers Jesus' question here. Why is it that even though I've got a beam in my eye, I want to tell you about the speck in your eye? Here's what he says. The desire for superiority often masquerades as care. 
says, the reason, even though I've got a beam in my eye, I tell you about the speck in yours, because the desire for superiority often masquerades as care. It's really easy. Oh, I'm, I'm trying to be helpful by pointing this out. Uh, listen, that critical nature uh, that you can always find something wrong, that's not helpful to the cause. It's helpful for your self-worth. It's because we want to be better, righter, gooder. Being a fault finder isn't particularly helpful. Now, you know what the log is in this context? I mean, it really could be any, any fault. But I think the log in this context is that desire for superiority. I think that's the log. Because it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what I'm, how right I am when I want to help you, that you've got this issue in your life. If my desire, my real hidden motive in pointing it out is because I want to feel better, that is the log in my eye. That's superiority. That's why I put the very first part of verse 5 on this slide. What does that make us when I've got this log of superiority, this desire to feel better by feeling better? What does, Jesus, what does that make me when I'm like that? Somebody have the guts to say it out loud. A hypocrite. And we can be a hypocrite, like when I criticize you of something that I am actively doing, Right, that, I can be a hypocrite, and that's the, kind of the Romans 2 fashion. But even if what I notice in you is a real problem that I don't have, I can still be this hypocrite. Here's why. And here's why I say this is the log Jesus is talking about. Because when I tell you this, because I, what I really want to do is compare favorably to you and feel superior and feel better to feel better. Here's the problem. Do you remember how the Sermon on the Mount began? Chapter 5, the Beatitudes. The first words in Matthew Jesus ever preached. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. You remember what that means? Blessed are those who mourn. And blessed are those who are meek. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Jesus starts there, the blessed person of God. The first step in being a Christian is understand I need a Savior. Why do I need a Savior? Because I'm poor in spirit. What that means is spiritually before God, I'm destitute, I'm broke, I'm not righteous, I'm not better enough to do any good at all. And when I realize my poorness of spirit, it breaks my heart, it makes me mourn because my greatest need is righteousness that I don't have. My meekness means I know I can't start to do enough to make up the righteousness gap. But the blessed person hungers and thirsts for righteousness that he can't ever get. And that's where the cross comes in and Jesus gives us a righteousness we can never earn. All right. When I do judgment to make myself feel better, I am no longer poor in spirit. I'm trying to be solidly middle class in spirit. Right? I mean, I'd be better than everybody, but I'm better than that guy. Poor in spirit says, I'm destitute. And their level of righteousness that 
that matters. So here's where the hypocrisy comes in. When I am a Christian who follows Jesus, I have said I'm poor in spirit and that breaks my heart and I'm meek and I hunger and thirst for a righteousness I can't do. But then when I use judgment to make myself feel better, something is off. I'm acting in a way that's different than what I believe. I'm a hypocrite and there's a log in my eye. The gospel should make us judge not with an eye toward superiority or being righter, with a love for the person with the problem. I hope that makes sense. Why do I notice the speck in your eye? Because I'm looking for it. Why do I fail to notice the log in my eye? Because I don't want to see it. Why do I use condemnation? Why do I notice what's wrong and want to lower you in my estimation and the estimation of other people? Because it feels better to feel better. And Jesus says, you hypocrite. Now, there's a right way to do this. We have to do judgment. And Jesus is going to tell us in verse 5 how to do judgment correctly. And please notice, right judgment is not zero judgment. Jesus doesn't say that correct judgment is refusing to notice, being clueless, never pointing anything out that's wrong. What he says is, here's how you do this. First, remove the beam from your own eye. Then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Right there, Jesus tells us there are two qualifications to doing this correctly. Log removal and actually helping the other person. If I'm going to be a qualified eye surgeon, I've got to be serious about self-evaluation, understanding why I have made this judgment. Why did I notice this? What is my goal? And I've got to remove that log. You know, this is like eye surgery. Log removal is like scrubbing in before the eye surgery. Here's what I have to, I've got to make sure I have gotten rid of what Jesus told us to get rid of earlier in this sermon. All anger. Right, what Paul said, remove all anger and strife and bitterness and wrath. This is delicate stuff. There's, Jesus chooses his metaphors really intentionally there's a reason why he's talking about your eye because it's very sensitive would you agree with this you can do more damage than you can good when you start messing around with somebody's eye is that right he says you better work to make sure before you start this you have that person good and forgiven. What if, if that speck they have in your eye, that's a sin issue. If that sin issue has hurt you personally, you had better make sure they are forgiven or you will go in there wanting to hurt as much as wanting to help. You can do more damage than good. Let's say this was a real thing and you really did have something in your eye. Um, a little piece of wood, a splinter. And let's say that Lonnie and Derek are the ones that notice. You want them to call the Helping Hands crew 
they get Aaron Green's giant chainsaw, and Lonnie can whip out the sawzall, and they can get to work on your eye to get that splinter out of there. You don't want that. But it's they're right. There really is a splinter in your eye. Right? And Max with a pair of vice grips, he can get that out of there. No, you can do more damage than good. It doesn't matter how right you are that they're wrong. You can do more damage than good with eye surgery. This is delicate business. So I've got to do log removal. I've got to get rid of bitterness and anger and strife and the hurt as much as I can. I've got to check my motives for why I want to do this. And then, secondly, says you can see clearly to do what? To remove the speck from your brother's eye. In Jesus' metaphor, who removes the speck? The person who noticed it. I've got to be willing to be a part of the problem. Excuse me. <laughs> I've got to, I probably was a part of the problem. I've got to be willing to be a part of the solution. This is not, let me tell you what you're doing wrong. You get that fixed. Maybe we can talk. This is, I have noticed something that's wrong. And I am going to be here to help. Both these things have to be true about me or I'm not qualified for eye surgery. I've got to be, I've got to scrub the superiority and the anger and wrath and the bitterness out of myself before I go in and I've got to be there to actually help. I've got to be willing to be there for the long haul. Listen to how Paul did it or said it. This is the same lesson. First two verses in the book of Galatians, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, if a person is discovered in some sin, that's a speck in the eye, right? You who are spiritual, restore such a person. How? In a spirit of gentleness. Pay close attention to yourselves so that you're not tempted to, that's log removal, carry one another's burdens. And in this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. All right, so if you notice someone who is in sin, Paul says, you who are morally superior are the ones that should help. Is that what he says? No, he says, you who are spiritual. What's that mean? You who are actually led by the Spirit of God, which means you'll act like Jesus in this, pers- in this situation. You are led by the Spirit of God, will be gentle. And you'll dive into this uh, to restore this person. And whatever this burden is you're carrying, I'm going to help you carry it. Again, this is not, I've noticed what's wrong with you. You better fix it. And then come see me. I guess if I would sum up these first five verses, I'd say it this way. First, when I see a problem in someone else's life that they need to address for their own good, I've got to start by remembering this. Jesus is going to judge me someday based on how I treat this person in this process. He's going to judge me the same way I treat this person. If I want him to help me, I better be about helping them. If I don't want Jesus to compare levels of moral superiority, I better not treat this person that way. 
And then I better examine my motives, scrub the log of superiority and self-righteousness and payback and out of my own eye, and I better be willing to be part of the solution. Not just point out the flaw from afar. And then Jesus says, we've got one more verse. And Jesus said something that doesn't seem to fit. The whole pigs and pearls thing. Did you catch that when Seth was reading? It doesn't seem like it fits in this lesson. And you can read a lot of different interpretations about what is meant. When I approach this, here's, what I, here's how I look, start looking for meaning. This has to mean something about judging people correctly and incorrectly. Because that's what Jesus is talking about. Here's what I think Jesus is saying. He says it this way. Do not give what is holy to dogs or throw your pearls before pigs. Otherwise, uh, they, that's the pigs, will trample the pearls or you under their feet and the dogs will turn around and tear you to pieces. Another metaphor. Jesus says this. If, if you had something that was holy, that was really special, you wouldn't give that to the dogs that run around the street. And you wouldn't give a string of pearl. Pearls were like, you know, they didn't know what diamonds were in the first century Mediterranean world, right? Pearls were the, the, the costliest thing. So you wouldn't give you wouldn't give a string of pearls to pigs, would you? No. Why? Why wouldn't you do those things? They don't see the value in what you're giving. They're unable to see the value in what you're giving. Eye surgery is delicate business, right? You have to make sure you're scrubbed in. You have to make sure you're willing to help. But listen, you've got to have a willing patient for eye surgery. Right? You're not going to put somebody in a headlock while they're flailing around and go to work on their eye. You'll do more damage than good. Here's what Jesus is saying here, I'm convinced. You're going to have the log removed from your own eye. You can see clearly the speck in the other person's eye. You can really desire to help, but if they don't want help, if they, they won't see what you're doing as valuable. And probably what they'll do is turn on you. Now, this is not an excuse why I never go tell my brother or sister about something that I think that the Lord would have them remove from their life. I don't know who is willing until I try. But I think Jesus is helping us understand what, what the proverb says. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's not saying some people are worthless dogs and worthless pigs and not worth helping. He's just saying some people will not see this as valuable and it is. And one last point about this verse. When you're the one with something in your eye, don't be a pig. Don't be the dog. And that tendency is there too. Because when you come to me to tell me something that I'm doing wrong, guess what my first instinct will be? To turn on the, to turn on the person who's pointing. Oh yeah? Well, let me tell you four things about your eyes. Right? Attack the person. Listen, it's a precious 
valuable, holy, valuable thing when a brother or sister comes to you with right motivations to help and say, there's something I see in your life that I think is sort of ebbing the glory of Christ that you could have. That's a precious thing. Don't be a dog. Don't be a pig. And we all can be. May we judge one another not with moral superiority. Keep our poorness of spirit where we understand I am not morally superior. I am destitute, bankrupt, apart from Christ. May we care enough to be eye surgeons, but those who are qualified. We're not wanting to hurt, not wanting to be moral, not to feel better by feeling better, but who will care enough to come alongside a brother or sister to help, to carry that burden with gentleness, that we might glorify God more completely. All right, sermon over. Amen, the end. But we're not done. Um, First Sunday of every month, our tradition is, this is when we celebrate communion. We remember what Jesus did. This is about judgment. Okay, what we're going to remember here is about judgment. Let's put Jesus up to the eye surgery test and see how he did judging you. Did Jesus look down and see our, the specks in our eyes? Did he see clearly? Did he have any log in his own eye? Did he decide, did he, did he stand up there in heaven, did he stand up there and say, look, look at them down there, how rotten they are. Did he use our sin as an excuse to feel morally superior and stay apart from us and feel better about himself? And how could anybody be like those people? Or did he dive in and help? tell you he was crucified with the splinter from my eye he was pierced with the splinter from my eye and he was nailed to the beam from my eye because he wanted to dive into my problem and your problem and and gently carry your burden that he might lift you up not put you down He lowered himself that he might lift you up. See the great eye surgeon? Or what? Even though there was no fault in him, he was morally superior. He didn't count that equality with God as something to be his main thing. He put that aside. He put on a human body, stepped into our mess, and he became our sin. And he knew the only way he could help was to be crucified for us. And he said, you know what? If that's what it takes to help in this judgment, and Father, I don't want this, but would you pour out their judgment on me? 
because I want, instead of putting them down for their lack of righteousness, I want to lift them up and give them mine. You see how he did that? He's the greatest eye surgeon that ever lived. As the guys come forward uh, to help pass out uh, the communion elements, we usually, the second time, we'll, we'll sing a song. If you feel like singing, uh, sing along enough to stand up. If you feel like sitting there and spending some time with the Lord, it's called communion for a reason. Commune with the one who was pierced with the splinters from your eye and nailed to that beam from your eye. Lord Jesus, uh, we just want to take some time to remember what you did for us. And while the bread comes around, we remember that you offered up your body to be broken because that's what it took to, to help us. You were so gentle toward us in helping us that you were willing to receive the full wrath of God in our place. Thank you for noticing what was wrong and caring enough to jump into our problem. And we remember the cost that you paid for that. Be with us while the bread comes around, Lord, in your name. Amen.